Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna, and this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. Today I am joined by a very, very good friend of mine, Daniel Povenmeyer, which I've never ever called him Daniel in my life. His <laughs> name is Dan. Dan is an American voice actor, animator, director, writer, producer, storyboard artist, like literally everything to do with animation he's done. He's the creator of Phineas and Ferb, and actually me and him are working together on his new show, Dan, welcome to Hyphenated. I can't believe it. Look at us. Who would have thought? I'm assuming somebody dropped out at the last minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. People always freak out online when they realize I know you because you're also a big TikTok star and a big everything star, especially to people that are a little bit younger than me who grew yes. up watching Phineas and Ferb. To the 13 to 24 demographic, I'm weirdly a celebrity, yes, now. I'm like the father figure for, <laughs> for, di for different ge generations. That's me. Me and you met very weirdly, and I think that people are always shocked when I post something online with you or when we do something together. They're like, how do you know him? Yes, like, how did this Venezuelan comedian meet the creator of Phineas and Ferb, and how are they working together on a show? Like, what the fuck is happening? Yes. Well, I, I think I think I purposely made it happen, right? I, it was I, you, I, yes. Because yes, my wife and I, my wife is from Venezuela, you do a lot of Venezuelan humor in your in, in your thing. We were laughing, laughing out loud at the the uh, the things that happen to you if you're Venezuelan in this country. And one of them was was everybody thinks you're from Minnesota, and, yeah, and yeah. we just laughed because of how many times people have said, you know, like and she said, I'm from Venezuela. Oh, Minnesota! I didn't really. And we were laughing, and I just started watching your videos, and I loved them, and I uh, I just think think you're quite brilliant, and I and. Uh, and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna comment on her video and just tell her I'm a big fan and uh, and that uh, you know we, lo we we love it because I'm married to a Venezuelan, and and I think I just said, hey, I love your stuff. Uh, my wife's Venezuelan. If you're ever in town in LA, uh, just uh, like like send me send me a note and we'll ha we'll have lunch. Well, I I was like, this is weird. Yeah. But I can't just assume this is fake. Yeah. And I was talking to my Venezuelan friend. I was like, I got this weird email from this guy that claims he's married to a Venezuelan. And it's this guy who created Phineas and Ferb. I don't think he would email me. This feels fake. Yes. And she was like, no, 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 Dan. Dan is married to my cousin. Yeah, he's great. He's real. And I, yes. so I went to LA and I, I emailed you back and we were going to meet up. And I think we were going to meet up at your house and then drive from there to a restaurant. Yes. And in the Uber, I told the Uber, I was like, I'm driving to a man's house that I don't know is that man. And also, uh, 
I don't know his deal, and I'm scared. Uh, can you stay? Can you stay here until he opens the door? Yes. And I, will you make sure I like it's him. Like he looks like his Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um. And you open the door, and you know there was like pictures of of Gladi and the kids and yes. all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this guy's legit. And then we we started a friendship from there. That was what like yes. six or seven years ago. Yes. I risked my life. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, six or seven years later, I got a job, and now I'm the story editor of your new show. Yes, Hamster and Gretel. Really? You are you're 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 like my second in command. And all because I responded to a. Weird email. <laughs> and came out and had Venezuelan food with me in Pasadena. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And I remember in that first conversation, we sort of talked a bit about your career. And for me, I was kind of flabbergasted because I had I knew you created Phineas and Ferb and like that's like a seminal show. It it definitely made its impact on many generations because the the parents of of kids are obsessed with it and yeah. I'm I'm now friends with parents instead yes. of kids. You're in this weird uh, <laughs> you're in this weird dark area of age group where 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 a lot of people never don't really have any relationship with Phineas and Ferb because people who are like 5 or 10 years older than you were the parents of kids who were who were going through the Phineas and Ferb phase. So it's mm-hmm. like like once you get to like 40, the people over 40 all know the show. The people under like 20 728 although the, the all the show but there's this like the early 30s is like this crowd that we sort of missed cuz they were they were in like in late high school or early college when the show when the show peaked but the show is like is it is it the biggest Disney Channel show in history or it's or near definitely it? their biggest animated show i think it, i think somebody sent me something that said that it, it was it was the biggest one, you know, because animated shows have a longer shelf life than, than you know, than uh, Hannah Montana. You know, the, the people aren't rewatching Hannah Montana as feverishly as they're rewatching Phineas and Ferb because animated shows don't seem to age in the in, in, in the same way. Right. And there's also like visually, like even fashion choices. Right. Yes. It doesn't have that same problem. You don't have haircuts that you go, oh, when was that in fashion? You know, so it's it's probably certainly up there. It's the it's the it's the biggest animated hit by far that they've that they've ever had. I think a lot of it is also because it it didn't just appeal to kids. There was yeah. a appeal to adults and kind of what we try and do on our show. Yeah. You try to throw as many jokes as you can in and don't ever censor one because you think it's too smart. Is what, you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, and I had to answer that question early on in, in, uh, at Disney on Phineas. Uh, I would get the, this note that would say, uh, say, okay, that's a funny joke, but is our audience even going to get it? And I'd say, I don't care. As long as it doesn't make your audience change the channel... There's another joke coming for the kids in five seconds. Trust me on this. Uh, we're, we're playing to the adults right. in the room. And they were like, okay, okay, like that. And then, you know, 44% of our audience was, was adults, either with or without kids. And, uh, and, they, and they shut up about that, uh, you know, w- once the show became super successful. But I think you need, you need to not pigeonhole your show for for just one uh, one demographic, uh, I think that's that's where you you limit the the you limit the appeal for even that demographic because because there's a lot of kids who loved the the more the more 
uh, esoteric and and older gags in the show, and you know those are the ones that stick. And also, they're going to watch it again when they're in high school. They're going to watch it again when they're in college, and and they're going to get jokes they didn't get at the first time through. Yeah, it like matures like a wine. Yes. You know? Except you can't have wine as a child, so that was a terrible metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but so you worked for years as multiple things on multiple animated shows. Yes. Animated shows that I grew up watching and it freaked me out to know you you worked on these shows. Yeah, you didn't you didn't know a lot of my resume until we had been friends for a while and then I would mention something you went like, "Oh my god, you worked on what was like Hey Arnold." I loved Hey Arnold. Or or Rocco's Modern Life or one of the, you know, one of those early Nickelodeon shows. Mhm. And I was very lucky. I had a, you know, I've had friends that have had to work on The Care Bears and these animated shows that they, you know, they didn't feel like a part of. They were just part of a machine that was selling toys and stuff like that. And I was on a, I was a part of a lot of machines that were selling toys, but they were because they were, you know, I was on on The Simpsons and Rocco's Modern Life and uh, and Hey Arnold and uh, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and SpongeBob SquarePants. And Family Guy. Like, that's a huge one. that You were you were a director on Family Guy for a very long time. I was director and storyboard supervisor for on Family Guy for the, for, through, through like season six, I guess. So, uh, so, so the, the, that was a great gig. I would not have left if I hadn't sold my own show because I was, uh, I was getting paid primetime money, but, but, uh, but also because I was storyboard supervisor, which was a position they had just made up for me because Seth wanted to give me sections of anybody else's show that he wanted to 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 do because because he realized oh if I write a musical number or if I have a bunch of visual gags that I just want I could sit within the writers room for two hours and come up with a bunch of stuff or I could just give it to Dan and he's going to do the same thing and I won't have to worry about it again mm-hmm. so he would give me those kind of sections or he would do a big musical number and say. Okay, we'll just do. We're we're just gonna write the lyrics and the music, and we'll give it to Dan, and he'll fill it. You know, and that's what how Shapoopy happened, and that's how Fellows of the F, the freaking FCC happened. But I could literally go into any script if I read a script that I liked a section of it. I could go and say, okay, I'm gonna take this, and I would take that section, and I would board it, and uh, and it, it was like I got all the fun, which was a great gig. It was. It was. It was. It was a great. It was a great gig. I was the only person on the art staff that was also sort of considered a writer. Uh, Seth used to call me the thirteenth writer, so I had a lot more creative freedom than than sort of anybody on the on that side of the show. And it was it was just a, it was a, it was a dream job. I only left because I sold my own show, and I gotta go. And then later, Seth offered me a lot to come back, <laughs> and he, at a party, he was like, "What if I made you executive producer? Gave you an executive producer title?" And I was like, "Oh, that would be more than I'm making now." And he said, "He said, <laughs> and and what? And I could give you like forty hours a year on my jet." <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> Oh, and suddenly I was going through my brain. It was like, that means we could go to Aruba every Christmas like we do and not have to go through a metal detector and not have to be there at a certain time. I could just call up and say, can you have the jet gassed up? We'll be there around between four and five. And I was like, a private jet for like uh, like the whole family? Ah! 
I think I still have to say no. <laughs> Sounds like a gag. Like, here's my firstborn child. But that was the first time I really like went, oh, hmm, I, like, I really had to think about it. And you didn't know Phineas and Ferb was going to be a hit. No, at the time I did not. The thing is, like when I left Family Guy to go to Phineas and Ferb, I had taken a thousand dollar a week cut in pay to run my own show. But it was my own show. Significantly more work, correct? Significantly more work, but I got to make all the decisions. You know, it's like me and Swampy created the show together and, and we just did everything the way we wanted to do it. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Mm. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. So this is the first show I've worked on that's animated, and I didn't know all of the different positions within the animated space. And once I did, once I found out that, you know, there's... The designers, the ones that like create the visual aesthetic of the world. Then there's yeah. the storyboard artists who who aren't the animators. They sort of direct uh, and draw out the scene. They figure out where the camera is, and in quotes, and and what the characters do in in that space, and they and they stage it, and they block it, and uh, they do most of the work that a, a live action director would do. And then you, you know, you send out this thing to overseas to some other, you know, company. Yeah, with, with directions of what to put on every single frame in between the drawings that we send them. And they're the animators. Yes, they're considered the animators. If we do action or something we want to look a very specific way, we'll send all the animation poses and we'll give them in-betweens to do. But if, if, if it's just a dialogue scene or something like that, they'll, they'll put all the, the mouth movements in and stuff. I always say that, like, you'll draw the wind-up and the end of the pitch, and they'll draw the drawings in between. You know, like they'll, they'll, they'll draw the hand coming forward for four frames and letting go of the ball for two frames. And So we, we just try to give them enough information that they're really just going from one drawing to the, uh, to the next and doing a certain number of in-betweens, and then we tell them how many in-betweens we want there. I think what's really interesting is I'm a career multi-hyphenate outside of this world. Like, oh, I'm a writer. I've written for animation, and I've written for live action, and I'm an actor. And you're a voice actor, and you're an internet star. <laughs> but you're multi-hyphenate. To see it every day at work is sort of, like, mind-blowing, because you draw, you write, then you direct, but then you also voice act. Oh, and you also write the music of the of the show. Well, I, I, I write the songs. But there's so many elements to animation that are just beyond my wheelhouse. <laughs> yes. Then I, I just, I see something animated and I'm like, why is this weird? It's not working. And then yes. you will come in and you'll just be like, oh, the camera's in the wrong direction, she's too small in comparison to the building, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, animation is very, very frame-specific. There was a gag on uh, on Family Guy where, where Brian and Stewie are hot-wiring a car, and it was funny in the table read, so I knew it was a funny gag. Mm -hmm. And 
we sat in the editing room and just moved things back and forth, four frames here, three frames there, like, you know, like, like this, trying to get this one gag to work where Stewie hotwires the car and when it comes on, there's a song on the radio. And Brian turns it off immediately and Stewie pops his head up and says, oh, put it back, I like that song. And it and I thought it was really funny in the table read, so I knew there was the, it was it was funny. It was funny in the script, and it was just not funny in the animatic. And we just we spent like twenty minutes just moving things around there and stuff. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to try one more thing. I want you to take a frame out here and put two frames there. It was like literally that much. It's it's less than a twelfth of a second difference on either side. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we played that, everybody in the editing room laughed. Mm -hmm. And like people were editing other acts at the time stopped and went, well, it's funny now. What did you do? And I said, that was one frame out of here and two frames put there. It's like, that's how delicate those things are. And it's easy to sort of give up on it. I, I think it's always worth the effort to do the, 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 the cut until it feels right to you there. I think what you just said is really interesting because timing is pretty much everything when it comes to comedy. And in animation, timing is everything but on steroids. Yes, yes. Every millisecond can make or break something. I had a, a writer on, uh, on Phineas... Uh, named John Barry, who who wrote, you know, who came from like writing plays and stuff like that. He would he would, he would write sketch comedy and things like that. And he would come into the editing room, and we'd get stuff back in color, and he would watch it and go, "Oh, that's not working." And he would get his notebook out, and he would be starting to rewrite that line. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, "No, no, no, hold on." And then I would like take a pause out here and add a pause there. You know, I would just move things around timing wise. And play it, play it back, and it would work perfectly. And he'd go, oh, I would never have thought that that was a fixable gag because I heard it and it wasn't funny to me. So I felt like, oh, I need to do another gag there. And it was, and it was literally just sliding something a couple frames this way. And suddenly it worked. And, and, and it sort of opened up his brains like, oh, we can do that here, which we really can't do in live action. We can we can make something work when it's not when it's not working uh, by just changing the performance just a little bit. Which I think one thing that has shocked me working on on our show, Hamstring Gretel, is how meticulous the the making of each episode is, and how many iterations of each episode we we are a part of. Like, I I had never mm. been on a show where you know we write the script. There's like three versions of the script. We finally end on the script. We were like, okay, this is a good script. Then we send it to the storyboard artist who bring, who give us a thematic, which is just a very simplified version of what the episode would look like. And then a lot of time we're like, oh my God, this isn't working. And we have to rewrite it. Yes. And then we send <laughs> yes, it back. Exactly. And then we get another version. Yeah. And then we're like, oh God, we got to rewrite <clears throat> these seven jokes. And then we send it back. And, then, and it's just like every 11 minutes goes through an insane amount oh, of yeah. work. <laughs> and you see it over and over again. When I was on The Simpsons, I noticed that when shows would go through animatic, the first pass, and would be really, really funny, they would often be less funny by the time they went on the air. Because on The Simpsons, they had time set to rewrite about 20% of the show. Mm -hmm. And they would get to that point and say, okay, what, what are the least funny of these funny, funny gags? And let's rewrite them and try to get them all up to the same thing. And they would often come up with stuff that wasn't as funny, but it was newer to them, so it sounded funny. Mm -hmm. Because they had already re heard these other jokes uh, several times. And that's the thing I'm always wrestling with 
in the in the editing room on on any of my shows on Phineas and on Milo Murphy and and now on Hamster and Gretel is okay. I've heard this gag a bunch of times. Is that why it's not funny to me, or is it actually not funny? You don't want to rewrite stuff because you have the time to rewrite it. And a lot of times I have to go, okay, the first five or six times or 12 times I heard this gag, it made me laugh. I haven't changed it since then. I sort of have to believe that it's working now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the best way to find out is to show it to a group of people who haven't seen it 22 times. But sometimes you don't have that luxury. Like most of the Phineas and Ferb shows did not make me laugh by the time I was done with them. I was sick of them. Mm-hmm. I hated the show quite often. You hated by the, the time show. I got rid of them. And, and I just didn't want to see them anymore. And so to me, it was a little surprising that, it, that the show took off the way it did it, it it you know it became this enormous monster hit like in the first month and i you know and all the reviews were just raves about it we had one negative review and that guy wrote a review 2 months later taking back his negative review he said you know i've stu- i've watched this since i you know when i first reviewed this i really didn't you know like i must have been in a bad mood or something i think this show's really brilliant so we literally had like 100% positive reviews and i always felt like well people are you know the the, the people are a little starved for shows right now or something you know it's like i felt like reviewers were were giving it too much of uh of a benefit of the doubt and then five years passed six years passed and i watched some of those first season shows again and i'm so proud of them i think they're so good they make me laugh now because i have because i haven't been working on it and trying to fix the things I couldn't didn't have time to fix yet. It's it's like pointillism. I think when you're working on something creative, if you're too close to it, it just looks like a bunch of dots and yes. then you just got to like have some perspective and and take some space yeah. before seeing exactly. what you've made. Yeah. It's it's a lot of just hearing it over and over and over again and and you know, now when I watch the show I will laugh out loud. I'll be surprised by stuff that I wrote. Like, oh, I remember writing that gag, but I still didn't see it coming because I've forgotten about that, you know? So I used to do a lot of theater and and sketch comedy uh, on stage. And there was this phenomenon of like a rehearsal high. We would rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And then an actor would do something dumb. Everyone would laugh and we would be like, this is brilliant. And then we would put it up on stage that night. And it would die. And it would die. And I couldn't figure out why. And it was like, of course, human beings are literally wired to laugh at surprise, to laugh yes. at incongruence. So when you're an actor, Yeah, that you know, stuff is surprising you because you've heard it one way all the, all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what all of show running is is is, is, is like on a comedy show, you're basically doing forensic comedy. You're trying to figure out why this gag died. This gag was funny when we originally pitched it, and now it's not funny in the script. Why is that? Can we fix it? And also, like, so serious. Like, it's no one yes. is laughing. It's like yes. this joke didn't work. What could it be? Well, it might be because we said fart. You know, fart. Not funny there because the, the the consonants aren't funny. <laughs> we have those kind of conversations all all, all, all the time, and, and and there's so many times at which in in the process of animation that that joke can die, and and you're constantly trying to breathe life back into it, and then like it'll come back, you know, six months later from overseas in color, and it won't be funny. Oh, is, is it the timing? Is it the the animation? Is it the is it the joke? It just was never that funny. Mm-hmm. Is it that it needs to be rewritten? Is it need needs to be reanimated? You know, like there's all these different ways you can try to fix that uh, that joke. And sometimes it's like, is it just that we've seen it too many times? 
Mm-hmm. The first time we did a movie, Phineas and Ferb Across the Second Dimension movie, I had seen every frame of that movie so many times. And by the time we were done with it, I was literally like, I think it's all funny. None of it reads as funny to me anymore. I hope that there's still laughs in this. I haven't changed these gags since I got them to work in color and I've seen them too many times now. I hope it's funny. And then Swampy and I sat in the back of a huge theater for our previous screening at Comic-Con and every single joke got a big laugh. It was so great to hear that and realize, okay, good, good. We were just able to, to relax. It's, uh, you know, comedy is hard. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. You've talked about how originally you wanted to work in live action. Yeah, originally that's that's what I came out here to do, was go into live action. And that's what I was putting a lot of energy towards. But at the same time, I was making money doing cartooning at the newspaper at USC. And, and, and I, it sort of turned me into a cartoonist. And then I started getting work in cartooning. And then uh, in the same week, I got hired to write a low-budget slasher movie, and I got hired to draw on The Simpsons. And I was oh going to the, to, to the Simpsons every day, for, till, you know, like all day long, and absorbing learning how to draw animation in a, on a, in a studio setting, which was thrilling and, and great and, and sort of overwhelming. And then I would come home at night, and I would, I would have dinner, and then I would write till you know 11 o'clock or something like that and and after two weeks i had a, a first draft done and turned it in and uh, i was told that i could probably direct it but i would only get paid five thousand dollars or something like that and i was like i think i'm getting the same kind of creative rocks off doing exactly the same stuff that i wanted to do in live action but with more control over it when i drew mm -hmm. and i realized also that i liked everybody i worked with mm -hmm. whereas you know the people i'd worked with in in uh, live action there weren't as many of them that i would want to go have lunch with You know, it's like I, I didn't really enjoy the live action parties that I would go to. I mean, it was, it was still fun to sort of work the room and sort of, you know, meet people and stuff. But it wasn't just a party of people hanging out and just just wanting to to talk and have fun. And and I was like, I think this may be my my peeps. I think animation is my peeps. I think I need to, to stay here. And that's what I did. Well, that's sort of what is talked about in the industry, right? That people in animation are just tend to be really nice <laughs> or yes. like at least it's a it's a kinder subsection of Hollywood yes. than live action and I've always wondered why that is I, I think here's the real thing that makes it different people who can't draw don't think they can draw there's nobody who says oh I could storyboard if I wanted to 
Yeah, no. You know what I mean? People either can or they can't. So there's not this desperation to prove that you can do something that other people think they can do. But everybody thinks they could write. Everyone. Everybody thinks they could direct. Everyone. Everybody thinks that that's something that they could do if they just sat down and did it. You know, yes. and which is not true. But that is the perception by the people that you're trying to get to hire you is that they could do what you do. And there's this accessibility, right? So it's like, I'm able to do this. This versus something that takes a, a very particular skill. Yes. This is a skill that is so much less accessible. Yes. Like like people people who don't draw don't think, oh, if I were to try to draw, I could draw. Because most of them have tried to draw and failed. So they, they understand how hard it is. And so when you get to that level where you realize, oh, I've got this skill that everybody else doesn't have. The people who are sort of the stars in an animated show are often the artists. And they don't have the same kind of insecurity about it, you don't have as much of that uh, imposter syndrome and, th and, and things like that because you can look and, oh, you know, I can do this. I, you know, it's, uh, uh, and, and not everybody can do this. So, so I'm, I'm a commodity that people will, will pay me to do. So you also voice characters. I do Dr. Doofenshmirtz and I did, uh, I did Vinnie Dakota for Milo Murphy's Law. <laughs> which, which are sort of opposites. Doofenshmirtz is way up here and Vinny's way down here like this, so. What made you want to voice that character that way? I was writing the first Doofenshmirtz dialogue, which were, Ah, Patty the Platypus, what an unexpected surprise. And by unexpected, of course, I mean completely expected! And, and, <laughs> and which became this running joke through the whole, the whole series. And it made me laugh, but I couldn't tell if it was funny. And so I pitched it the next morning to my wife, because she was asleep when I was, when I was working on it. And she laughed. And I just used that voice when I did it. So I pitched it like that to the executives. And, and one of them was like, I think maybe you should do the voice. And I was like, I would do that. I think that would be fun. And and he became this thing. It's, you know, it's like he's he's had a bunch of uh, viral videos on TikTok that I had nothing to do with, you know, where they take take a song he's done or a line he's done and it becomes a trend on TikTok. And, you know, it's like literally millions and millions and millions of of videos with uh, with that voice in it. I mean, it's it's become a character beyond yourself. Yeah. I remember when Lil Nas posted a video, and it was like the moment I I realized I was gay. Was when he saw Doofenshmirtz. When he saw Doofenshmirtz. A <laughs> yes. uh, sex icon. Who would have thought? Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think that I that I that I said, oh, glad I could be of assistance or something like that. I, I, I commented like that. And at least one person said they unfollowed me because of that. And I was like, well, well good riddance. Bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. <laughs> that's, uh, that's okay. I can do without you. And there's literally like walk around characters at Epcot. There, there's not actually a walk around of, of Doof. There's walk arounds of Phineas and Ferb and Perry. There's a uh, big wooden sculpture of Doof that comes out of a glockenspiel at Epcot. He's like five feet tall and he's like running from, from like somebody. It's, it comes out of this clock, which is, which is a, a cool thing. Thing. And I, I'm hoping when they eventually retire that attraction, which I, I, I think they will at some point, I would love to have that in my, you know, in my yard or something or, you know, or in my office. I can just have them here in the corner. Just a little friend. <laughs> The cool, the coolest thing was the they, they did a dance party, a Phineas and Ferb dance party over at, uh, at in California Adventure, where the walking characters, the F Phineas and Ferb, came out with all these girls dressed as Fireside Girls dancing and 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 leading the the audience in in 
these dances. And people would line up ahead of time to see that, and they would come dressed as characters and stuff like that. That was probably the coolest thing that's happened to me, maybe ever, is, see, is seeing that happen at one of the parks. It was really, I won't really tell cool. your wife or your children. Oh, they know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very clear to them about that. I've been, I've been like, you know, it was nice when you guys were born, but nowhere near as cool as this thing. It's like, you guys will always be second. That's what I always tell them. <laughs> no. So you're married to a Venezuelan. Your kids are Venezuelan yes. slash American. They're, they're hyphenated. Yes, and they um, a lot of Latinos are, don't know this, and they get incredibly excited there's a bunch of videos now because I reposted that uh, the, the the fridge video with uh, that I did with Carolina Ravasa. So the fridge video is this TikTok where you sort of have this funny movement with a person that pretends to be your wife and then your real wife comes out and it's Clarissa. Yes, but because Clarissa has a very Venezuelan accent, a lot of people asked me if she was Venezuelan and I said, oh yeah, she's from Caracas. And so many Venezuelans have now put up videos about the fact that I'm married to somebody from Caracas, which, uh, which, uh, which they love, which I think is really sweet. It's very funny because you also recently posted a video of, of your family reunion where... Everyone's talking in Spanish, and obviously it's yes. a Venezuelan accent, and people yes. just tag me in it. And it's like, is this your family? Because you work with him? Did he go to your family? And I'm like, no. Like, no. He, 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 he also has a Venezuelan family. <laughs> it's like most of my family is Venezuelan. I'm just, I'm the one gringo. Has that part of your life, like, influenced you or your work at all? I mean, it, it really has on this show. But, you know, it's like Isabella... In Phineas and Ferb was Isabella Garcia Shapiro because I wanted her to be half Latin and, you know, so, so she's Mexican and Jewish. And the whole family in the new show is sort of based on my family. It's a it's a blended family. The the dad who looks very much like me. Literally I think it's, looks <laughs> I think it looks exactly like me and the mom looks basically like Clarissa. But what's funny is that I'm not doing that voice. It, it would have probably made sense if I'd done that voice, but we got Matt, and he's so good. I was like, no, I'd rather have him have him do it. And the kids, you know, like there's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid because I've got a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Venezuelan child, and and there's a kid who has darker hair and and looks more stereotypical uh, Latin. But you know, it was it was fun to just sort of use that and not make it be about that, but make it make that be sort of the the flavor in the background of the, of the show we did a lot of work. I, I think you sat with uh, with Dorothea, our art director, and, and made sure that their apartment looked like it was de- decorated by somebody who is from Venezuela. There's a lot of little Easter eggs in the house there's that the I picture, can't There's wait. a picture of the avila on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the, the art, lawn. Just all like, these little details yes, that yeah. I definitely make it feel authentic. You know, when we were casting the mom who is Venezuelan, um, I won't reveal who we cast since this is all, you know, but the person that we cast, she came in and did the lines in a way that I was just like, it has to be this person. Yeah. And then it was revealed. Yes. That she was doing an impersonation of your mom from your, from your Instagrams. So she (laughs) looked at, she did her research. She was like, okay. Well, Joe is involved in this. I should, I should go check out her videos. She's Venezuelan. She probably wants someone that sounds like her mom. And it, and it, and it literally sounds very much like my mom. Yes. And, you know, I wrote this abuela character. Yes. And the yes. abuela character, I worked with a um, with a character designer. 
and I sent her pictures of my Cuban grandma, and she it is the exact yes version. It, it's my grandma and animated like. Well, what what I love about that character is it doesn't look like the typical abuela that you would see in Coco or Encanto or anything. You know, there's this this version of abuela which is like a forty year old abuela mm-hmm. that they remember. Which mm-hmm. is from a different generation, stuff like that. But uh, but abuelas now look much more modern, and you know, it's it's like they're from. They were people who were born like when I was, you know, when I was born in the '60s, you know, like late '50s and '60s, and they don't dress like they're from the old country and and and, and stuff like that. And that's what I love about Gretel and Kevin's uh, abuela in the in the in the show is she looks like like so many Venezuelan women that I know. And it, it was an effortless episode to write because it really did come from experience and like people I knew and loved. And it, it yeah. stories are just so much easier to write when when you feel something and we were thinking about cast i was like it, it has to be jenny my my co-host yes. on the podcast and yeah. she absolutely knocked it out of the park she sounds exactly like my grandma who was cuban it was so great yeah it's so great it's so great people say what does diversity in entertainment mean and i think it's like if you have people in the room who are that thing and have the emotional connection and that feeling with a particular culture or people in their life they're gonna want to write about it exactly or filter the story through their perspective and point of view and that was i think my favorite episode to write because it just felt so much like my real life (laughs) even though there's a enormous uh huge villain that uh looks like a giant baby yeah a giant baby (laughs) (laughs) but anyway dan but before we leave you know i feel like the voice of Doofenshmirtz is the voice of Doofenshmirtz. And I feel like yes. we got to say a goodbye in the voice of Doofenshmirtz. This has been hyphenated. The show about living in the hyphen. So so go hyphenate yourself. Brilliant. Brilliant. You you, they won't notice it's not Jenny. Yes. <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for, for joining sure. us. Now we have an actual meeting for work where we have to figure out like 20, 200 more episodes of and the we're, show. And we're late for it. So. And we're late for it. Okay. Bye, Dan. Ciao. Bye. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.